Hello everyone, welcome to First Baptist Church of Artesia Wednesday night Bible study or maybe you're listening on Thursday, Friday, Saturday or uh, Monday night, who knows, it's a podcast, you can download it, you can listen to it anytime. Uh, Also don't forget my notes are right there and right next to the podcast button, you can uh, download the uh, notes there so you can follow along. And remember, we're doing the uh, Gospels kind of in order, kind of putting them together, not every single text there, but kind of putting them together to tell the one story that's in the uh, Gospels. Today we'll just be in Mark. So if you want to get ready, go ahead and go to Mark chapter 11. I just, again, uh, want to encourage you during this time of this uh, coronavirus uh, to take advantage of our podcast, our online service. Let people know, click like, uh, share it, let people know we're getting quite a bit of response from uh, around the country. People are listening to us from all over. Last Sunday, uh, we had somebody from Indiana uh, check in and say they were watching us online. So, uh, praise be to God for all that. But for us, uh, for our Bible study, we're going to be dealing with the triumphant entry into Jerusalem. Uh, Mark chapter 11. The other Gospels tell the story, but I'll be in Mark uh, just for continuity so you don't have to uh, flip around a lot. You don't have to do a lot of uh, 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 flipping pages and and all kinds of stuff. So, uh, having said that, let's go to Mark chapter 11, verse 1. Be reading verses 1 to 11. And as they approached Jerusalem at Bethage and Bethany near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples. And he said to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, on which no one has yet ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? You say, the Lord has need of it. And immediately he will send it back here. And they went away and found a colt tied at the door outside in the street. And they untied it. And some of the bystanders were saying to them, what are you doing? Untying the colt. And they spoke to them just as Jesus had told them. And they gave them permission. And they brought the colt to Jesus put their garments on it, and he sat upon it. And many spread their garments in the road, and others spread leafy branches, which they had cut from the table, from the fields. And those who went before, and those who followed after were crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David, Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem, And came into the temple, and after looking all around, he departed for Bethany with the twelve, since it was already late. So, uh, this account, if you've been following along with us, uh, we did this particular passage, I believe it was the week before Easter, uh, on our our sermon. So if you're hearing some stuff here that you heard before, it was from the uh, sermon right before Easter, which you can find on our webpage. You can also find it on uh, YouTube. So anyway, so this particular passage known as a triumphant entry uh, into uh, 
Jerusalem. Now, a few things going on here. You know, they go and they get this colt and they untie it, or some translations might say donkey. Uh, why and why not a horse? Uh, because horses were not used uh, as something that uh, someone would ride on. Horses were just for military. You would only have the military. The horse was actually a weapon of, of warfare. Kings rode on, on donkeys or colts. They didn't ride on horses. So this is why a, uh, a colt is used there. And uh, a couple things here I want to point out. That in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, you don't have to turn to it, but just write it down. Zechariah 9, 9. Now this is written roughly 500 years before Jesus' birth. And this is what Zechariah 9 says. And it's talking about the first coming of Messiah. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even a colt, a fowl of a donkey. So right there you have uh, 500 years before Jesus this was already written. This was already established. You have reference to Jesus coming into Jerusalem as the, as the king. And uh, uh, so again, you know, God is not a God of chance. God is plan and design. You know, as I, I've said to you all the time, that, that the Bible sets the stage for Messiah. Old Testament points to Messiah. Uh, you know, it shouldn't have been a surprise to anyone uh, who knew their Bible, who who, who was, uh, especially the priests. They should have known right away uh, that uh, he was lining up with Scripture. That's why Jesus said, I didn't come to do away with Scripture, but I came to fulfill Scripture. And then he gets on the colt, and it says, uh, verse 7, And they brought the colt up to Jerusalem and put their garments on it, and he sat upon it, and many spread their garments in the road, and others spread leafy branches, which they had cut from the fields. This is known as Palm Sunday, those leafy branches, the palms. But what gets missed a lot of times, it says they spread their garments. Now, as I told you before, the garment is the outer garment that they would wear. And the biblical reference for this, again, you don't have to turn to it, but write it down. Numbers chapter 15, verses 37 to 41. Numbers chapter 15, verse 37 to 41. Now, this is when uh, they were in, uh, they had just come out of bondage, out of slavery. Uh, they were Mount Sinai, and Moses was getting instruction from God. And he says this in verse 37 of chapter 15 of Numbers. The Lord also spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel, and tell them that they shall make for themselves tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations, and that they shall put on the tassel of each corner a cord of blue. And it shall be a tassel for you to look at and remember all the commandments of the Lord, so as to do them and not follow after your own heart and your own eyes, after which you played the harlot, in order that you may remember to do all my commandments and be holy to your God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out 
the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. These garments that a devout man would wear was a commandment of God to wear. In, you know, in verse 39 it says, And you shall, and it shall be a tassel for you to look at and remember the commandments of the Lord. So in other words, this outer garment with a tassel on the end of it, uh, which is what the woman with the issue of blood, she said, if I can just t- touch the corner of his garment or the tassel or the fringe of his garment, I shall be healed. It was a commandment of God to wear it, but it was also a reminder to follow God and to do the things of God. So you now back in Mark, So think about this. They took those garments off that they were commanded by God to wear. That's what they put on the colt. And that's what they were laying down, uh, you know, as Jesus rode in. What a what a scene. You know, the leafy branches meant royalty in in kingdom and kingdom. And now they take off this garment, which is a commandment of of God to wear and to remember uh, God and to remember all the things that God has said, you know, in in referring to Messiah. And so they take this off paying homage to to Jesus, you know, and saying, saying, Hosanna, which means save now. Blessed he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Remember, Jesus brings the kingdom of God. Uh, Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Uh, Hosanna in the highest. It says, and then he says, he, and he enters Jerusalem to all this fanfare. And it's, it's known you know, as a triumphant entry into, into Jerusalem. But I'm reading Mark's account because Matthew, Luke, and John give you a similar almost the same uh, story, but Mark gives one detail that the others leave out, and that's in verse 11. It says, And he entered Jerusalem and came into the temple, and after looking all around, he departed for Bethany, which the twelve, with the twelve, since it was already late. He goes into a temple, and the temple is basically empty. Now, where would Messiah go? Where would the conquering king go? Where would our Lord go? Surely he would go into the temple. Anyone knew this. And so where was the ruling class? Where are the Sadducees and the Pharisees? Where were the priests? They were not there. Now I bring this out and I'm using Mark's gospel to show something because what happens next is a little puzzling because Jesus is almost out of character here. Uh, and, and, and I want to point this out. Why is he kind of out of character? One is, as I've been telling you, as you get closer and closer to the cross, things are amping up. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be hard. The pressure is, is mounting. His time is now at hand. He is in his last week. So now we, we go to the next passage. We're back in Mark chapter 11, verse 12 to 14. It says, in the next day, remember, he goes to an empty temple, temple is empty, he leaves. On the next day, when they had departed from Bethany, he became hungry, and seeing at a distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if perhaps he could find anything on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he answered and said to it, may no one ever eat from fruit from you again. And his disciples were listening. You know, they were watching him. And he's hungry, and he goes over to the fig tree, knowing there's not going to be any figs on it. 
and and because it's not even the season for figs. You know, the harvest for for figs would be uh, like like in September time. Uh, there wasn't going to be anything on it. This was. Uh, uh, not the time to do that. This was early, early spring. There would be no figs there, and so he answers. He he speaks to the fig tree. May no one ever eat fruit from you again. What did the fig tree do? Well, the fig tree didn't do anything. But it's a reference. It's a metaphor. Trees refer. It's a biblical metaphor for nations, and so he's in a sense uh, cursing this fig tree. And he's pronouncing a curse, in a sense, uh, as a metaphor, as something that the disciples are watching him doing. And he's cursing this fig tree, which in the in the Gospels is the only destructive miracle that Jesus does. He curses his fig tree. So if you read this passage, you know, this is out of character for Jesus. So we have to ask ourselves the question, why is he doing this? What's going on? Uh, and then we have the next passage, uh, Jesus cleansing the temple, verse 15. It says, And they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple, and began to cast out those who were buying and selling in the temple, and overturned the tables of the money changers, and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he would not permit anyone to carry goods into the temple. And he began to teach and say to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a robber's den? And the chief priests and the scribes heard this, and began seeking how to destroy him, for they were afraid of him, for all the multitude were astonished at his teaching. And whenever, whenever evening came, they would go out of the city. Now, here you have Jesus cursing a fig tree. Then he goes to the temple and he starts overchanging the money changers t- tables. Those tables were there the day before. Those tables were there on, on other days. Why on this day does he do it? Why does he cleanse the temple on this day? By the way, when you read John's account, John's account of this happens early, uh, you know, in, in his account. And sometimes people think there were two cleansings of the temple. Uh, no. John's not chronological the way uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are. Uh, John's gospel is more topical. So it's, it's, it's not, he's not telling you a story from A to B, A to Z. He's telling you this, then I'm going to tell you this, then I'm going to tell you that. So the, Jesus only cleanses the temple one time. And he does it here. And why? Because, you know, right here they're seeking to destroy him. If he did this at the beginning of his ministry, uh, they would be seeking to destroy him a lot sooner. And they would be wanting to put him on the cross a lot sooner. So obviously he, this didn't happen at the beginning of his ministry. This happens in the last days of his ministries. We have to ask ourselves questions. Why is he doing this? You know, people were coming from all around and they had to buy uh, the doves. They had to change their money. They were, you know, for the for the sacrifices and things that were going on in the temple. You can make a uh, you know, strong case they were doing it in the wrong place, but Jesus had been in the temple before. Why does he wait until now to do this? Why does he wait to do this? And then he quotes Isaiah 
56 verse 7. This is verse 17. He says, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a robber's den. One of the things that was going on is that the high priests were actually themselves making money off of this. This just wasn't like bankers and people trying to do commerce. This was the high priests. So, you know, the high priests who, by the way, were not in the temple the day before. The same high priest who 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 could have recognized uh, Jesus as as Lord and Savior, who were not there. Jesus goes into that temple. Notice the next day he curses the fig tree. He says, "May no one eat fruit from you again." You know, remember. You know, we're we're called to bear fruit in season and out. That's Second Timothy four two. And so here, what you have is is Jesus going into an empty temple, and no one's there. There's no fruit there. There's you know the the, the priests aren't there to do what they're supposed to do. The next day, he sees a fig tree as a representation of the nation of Israel. He curses it and says, May no one uh, ever eat fruit from you uh, again. He goes into the temple, and now he's over changing he's overturning the money changers tables he's causing a he's causing a commotion he's in a sense out of character but understand the pressure understand what's going on this is the last week these are the last days he's getting ready to take the sins of the entire world for all time upon himself on the cross this is not a regular day this is not regular times this is something that is going to change the world forever uh, there, 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 there's an intense pressure here. There's a lot is going on. You know, we read it and we're 2,100 years almost away from the event, but try and put yourself there. Try and understand the pressure. Try and understand the importance of, of, of what is going on. And so, uh, 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 and by the way, that, what I quoted from Isaiah, uh, was 700 years before, uh, the birth of Jesus. Uh, where he says, you know, my house shall be called a, a, a house of prayer for all the nations, but you've made it a robber's den. Uh, and so verse 18, and all the chief priests and scribes heard this and began seeking how to destroy him, for they were afraid of him, for all the multitude were astonished at his teaching. You know, he goes in there, he hip, he starts throwing things around, he starts chasing people out, and then he starts doing a Bible study, you know, and people were amazed at what's going on. I mean, talk about getting your attention, you know. We always talk about, especially when I teach uh, uh, how to teach, you know, one of the things I talk about is that you have to have a hook. You have to have something that hooks people into your passage or something that hooks you, something that draws your attention. You know, and here's Jesus. He goes into the into the temp, temple and he causes a ruckus. Boy, he gets their attention all right. And then he starts teaching. Everybody's looking at him. And then now he starts teaching. What a marvelous uh, way to do this. But again, understand the pressure. Understand what's going on here. Now the next passage, verse 20. We're in Mark chapter 11 verse 20 to 24. And it says, And they were passing by in the morning. They saw the fig tree withered from the roots up. And being reminded, Peter said to him, Rabbi, behold, the fig tree which you cursed has withered. 
And Jesus answered, saying to them, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be taken up and cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says is going to happen, it shall be granted him. Therefore I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you have received them, and they shall be granted to you. The next day, that morning, they're, they're walking, they see the, the fig tree withered up, the only destructive miracle in the New Testament. And, and then, you know, Peter says, Rabbi, behold the fig tree, which you've cursed, it's withered. And Jesus says, verse 22, have faith in God. Here's the topic of what he's talking about. Again, whenever you read a passage of scripture, find the topic, the context of what is going on. And that way you won't misuse scripture. Because the passage in verse 24, I say to you all things which you pray and ask, believe, and you, and you receive them, and they shall be granted to you. Okay, if you don't take that passage in the context of what is going on, you'll miss it and misuse scripture. Uh, Verse 22, Jesus answered, saying to them, have faith in God. Then he says, truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, what mountain? He just got through talking about, have faith in God. The mountain he's talking about, based upon the things that have already happened, that have transpired, is unbelief. Because what are they going to be confronting? Especially after the cross, uh, after the day of Pentecost, and the church age begins. What are they going to be confronting? Unbelief. That's the mountain. That's the mountain that we deal with today as believers in Jesus Christ. When we go out to preach the gospel, when we go out to teach the gospel, when we share our faith, there's a mountain there in front of us. And that mountain is unbelief. And so he says, you know, truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart. Doubt what? The gospel that God has sent you to preach the gospel, that that uh, your faith in God be taken up, cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that which he says is going to happen, it shall be granted to him. This is all in the context of 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 being the church. This is all in the context of following Christ. This is all in the context of 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 the gospel. Because you have to understand, it's not talking about whatever we want. Because you now, because if you don't understand this, then verse 24, Therefore I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you have received them, and they shall be granted to them. Now some people would take this and say, well, if you believe God for it, God will give, give it to you. And they'll use this particular passage. But what's the context? The context is, have faith in God. The context is, coming against unbelief. Jesus, from his triumphant entry, some believed, but when he goes into the temple, what does he come against? Unbelief. They are not there. The next day, what does he do? He curses the fig tree as a metaphor. May no one ever, ever, ever receive fruit from you again. Because now the focus is going to shift from Israel as a nation to the church. 
There's there's a there's a huge in a sense paradigm shift going on here. That 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 uh, the Old Testament is not going to be done away with. It's just now our salvation is going to be through Jesus Christ. The laws, everything, all that is still there. We still abide by that. And then Jesus goes into the temple, you know, overturns everything, you know, and says, you made it a robber's den, you know, and then, and then you know, he sees the fig tree withered up, and Peter says, look at, the, you know, the fig tree's been withered up, Jesus. And Jesus, verse 22, answers and says to them, have faith in God. This is the context. Say to this mountain, this mountain of unbelief. In other words, if we are willing to go out and say to our community, our community, which is a mountain of, of unbelief, say to that, you know, we are going to claim this city for Jesus Christ. We are going to go out and do it. It shall be granted to you. But you see, what do we do? We don't do that. We don't say to this mountain of unbelief. It's like, what, what are we going through right now in our world? You know, there's a lot of unbelief out there. There's a lot of things that we say, well, you know, I wish they would get saved. I wish they would that. No, you have to have that conviction that God has called you to go out and do it. That God is going to be with you and say to this mountain of unbelief. You know, uh, uh, therefore I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you have received them, and they shall be granted to you. You see, this is believing. This is trusting God. Not for what you want, but for what God has called us to do. That's the context of all of this. And the context is obviously salvation. Because Jesus is bringing the kingdom. It is salvation. And this gets, this is what gets lost a lot of times. And, and just as a little uh, commercial for something that's going to be coming uh, in the next few days, uh, we're doing this uh, uh, on Wednesday, probably in the, on, the, uh, uh, on the 6th of May. Probably uh, in the next four or five days, uh, you'll be getting emails and things I'll be putting on on the website. But I'm going to be doing a live broadcast on how to evangelize. I'm going to have some people with me, and we're going to do some role modeling. Uh, we're going to be explaining why the gospel, how to do it, how to preach, how to teach, how to bring someone to the Lord. And then since it's a live broadcast, and you'll be seeing it on Facebook, you'll be able to interact with us and ask questions and see what's going on. But the whole point is here, we have to say to this mountain, be removed. We have to be willing to go out there and, and do this, because this is what we are called to do. Okay, now go to verse 27. Mark 11, verse 27. I'll be reading to verse 33. This is the question, the question of authority. And they came again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and scribes and elders came to him and began saying to him, by what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do these things? Remember, what did he do? He was in the temple, overchanging, overturning the money changers. And, you know, he was, he was teaching. He was, he was doing something radical. And now they're saying, who gave you the authority to do this? You know, they're trying to trap him. You know, they're, they're, they're trying to find a reason to uh, uh, put him to death. Verse 29. And Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question, and you answer me. 
and then I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Jesus is turning the tables on them. Verse 30, he says, Was the baptism of John from heaven or from men? Answer me. Now remember, John is the forerunner. John is the one who came preaching what? Repentance. Uh, John is doing what? Making way for Messiah. So he says, he takes them and he says, what was John doing? Where was John's authority? And they begin reasoning among themselves. Verse 31, saying, if we say from heaven, he will say, then why did you not believe him? But shall we say from men, they were afraid of the multitude, for all considered John to have been a prophet indeed. In answering Jesus, they said, We do not know. And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Jesus turned the tables on him. They were trying to trap him. They were trying to get him to say something that they could now accuse him of blasphemy. And so what does Jesus do? He says, well, where did John get his authority? But he's also calling these men out as men who are, 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 are trying to be slick. They're trying to be slick in front of God. They're trying to uh, uh, save themselves. They're trying to do something that they know in their heart of hearts is wrong. And so they realize uh, the people know that uh, John was a prophet. They see John as a, as a prophet, meaning he was sent from God. They do not want to affirm anything Jesus is doing. They don't want to affirm that John was from God. So they basically say, we don't know. And then Jesus is basically telling, telling them and saying, well, I'm not going to answer your question either. Because if they answered correctly, then Jesus would go into the whole thing while well, John was first and he led the way uh, to me. So they don't want to go there. And again, this is what happens, this mountain of unbelief. It's like when you go to share the gospel, you know, there's a mountain of unbelief. They don't want to answer right. And when we do our, our, our study in our, in our teaching and we're going to do some role playing on, 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 uh, on, on, on how to share the gospel. You know, people, people, you ask them a straight out question, are you going to heaven or hell? They're not going to answer you straight. You know, do you believe in God? They're not going to answer you straight. They're going to be like these people. So that's that mountain of unbelief that we come against. That's that mountain of unbelief that we pray and believe that we can get through that mountain of unbelief. I mean, we have the Holy Spirit. We have God with us to help us uh, uh, evangelize. You know, and this is, this is the direction of our, our our church. This is what we're going to be doing. This is going to be the focus. We're going to be building our church through evangelism. We're going to be building God's house uh, through evangelism. There's going to be a, a, a revival, an, an awakening in our communities. I fully believe this. You know, this is uh, what we are praying for. This is what this is all about. And continue our, our study here. Go to Mark chapter 12. Drop down to verse 28. You can read the parables there on your own time. There's a, a, a couple of parables there and a question about resurrection. But to, in, to keep things in context and wrap up our study here, I want to go to verse 28. Mark 12, 28 to verse 34. 
It says, And one of the scribes came and heard them arguing, recognizing that he had answered them well, and asked him, What commandment is the foremost of all? Now, a scribe was not a priest. Uh, A scribe is not a Pharisee. A scribe is basically what it says. Someone who scribes things. In other words, they were the scribes were the ones who copied scripture, and the scribes uh, uh, had a kind of a unique role in society because people knew who scribes were, that they had access to scripture, and that they copied scripture. That's the way you did things in those days. The printing press was still uh, fourteen hundred years uh, away from being uh, in, invented, and so uh, you had to copy things. Uh, you know, word for word. So the scribes were were, were people who uh, had scripture. So, but also they were the ones that they felt well. We know scripture, and so for this scribe is uh, is is not going to challenge Jesus. Verse twenty eight again. One of the scribes came and heard them arguing, recognizing that he had answered them well. Asked him, "What commandment is the foremost of all?" Jesus answered. It said, the foremost is, Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one. This is known as the Shema. It's from Deuteronomy 6 4. 6 4. It says, the foremost one, Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one. And what this is, this is foundational because, uh, you know, the God of our Bible is, is monotheistic, one God. Uh, all the other uh, groups and religions or whatever, they have multiple deities, multiple gods. The God of the Bible is one God, all things uh, through him. So this is what is foremost. Hero Israel, the Lord our God, is one. And then he goes on and he says, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. Again, Deuteronomy 6. And then he says, the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, and there is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, right, teacher, you have truly stated that he is one, and there is no one else besides him. And to love him with all the heart, with all understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as himself is much more than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. And then Jesus saw that he had answered intelligently. He said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one would venture to ask him any more questions. Interesting thing here. You know, this scribe who knew scripture sees that Jesus answers right in 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 affirms that Jesus is answering this right. But notice Jesus' answer. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord with Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is this you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Love is the greatest motivator of all. You know, we should love God with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our strength. You know, love motivates you. 
when you love someone or you love something, that love draws you to them or to it. Uh, and it leads you. You know, it's like uh, uh, when you fall in love with someone, you can't wait to see them again. Uh, you want to go to where they're at. You want to be where, where they are. Or if it's a something like like games or sports or whatever it is, if you, if you love it, you can't wait till the game is on. You can't wait to engage it. Uh, you want to do it. You know, it's like people, you know, fall in love with our computers and whatever it might be. And, you know, you just run to it, you know, because it, it draws you there. But the one that should be drawing us is, is our love for God. If we have that love for God, then we're drawn to God. We cannot move away from God. Uh, we are unhappy if we're not close to God. We're unhappy if God is not around us. This is the greatest motivator. And then, you know, loving our neighbors as ourself. It doesn't say love those that are saved. It says live your neighbor. Because whether your neighbor is saved or not, we should still love them. Because if they're not saved, then that love should compel us to make sure that they are saved. We want to see that they're saved. It's like our family. When we get saved or when we don't go about God, what do we do? We want our family to come to church. We want them to be saved. Why? Because we love them. We want them to know what we know. And this is a motivating factor here. But we should take it outside of our homes, not just our family, our neighbor people that we work with, people that live next to us, people that, that we, we see on the street or whatever, you know, we always say that, you know, about the church, when you get saved and you come into the church, we call each other brother and sister. Well, hi, brother, sister so-and-so, you know, and, and, and you know, it's, it's, it's like this marker, but we forget that we were brothers and sisters with people outside of the church first. We need to go get those brothers and sisters and bring them into the church as well, into the kingdom of God. And so this is what he's saying here, you know, this motivate, motivating factor uh, uh, that, 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 that of, of love. All the things that we do, we should do out of, out of love. The church uh, should be a, a church that loves, you know. We are dealing with sinners all around us. We ourselves are sinners, and it's but for the grace of God we would we would be condemned in our sin. But because God so loved us, He sent His only begotten Son to pay the price on the cross. If we're willing to repent uh, and confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, the result is salvation. The result is the kingdom of God. We enter the kingdom of God, and this is what we're talking about here. And so that if we know that and we understand that, that should compel us. Uh, to share that good news with others. Uh, but again, love is that motivating factor. And that's what I kind of want to end this Bible study with tonight is, is, is the element of love. Love God. God so loved the world. God so loved us first that he sent. Uh, and as we get closer to God, you know, this is what I say, that, that my job as a pastor, as, as a teacher, is really to help you fall in love with God. Because once you fall in love with God, it's game over. Because then you will seek the scriptures on your own. Then you will pray to God. Then you will have that relationship with God. And this is, this is, what, this is what God wants. God wants us to come to Him. You know, as a, as a pastor, as a teacher, I'm here to say, look at, look at who God is. 
Why would you not be drawn to God? You know, why would you not want to want to engage, find out more? And the more you find uh, who God is, the closer you get to him, the more you fall in love with him. You know, one, one of the biggest moments for me in Christianity was one day when I really, really, truly realized I was hopelessly in love with God. That, that, that it was going to be God no matter what. No matter what happened, no matter what turns my life took or whatever, it was going to be God. I was in love with God. And at that point, I realized I was helpless. I realized at that point it wasn't my plan anymore. It wasn't what I wanted anymore. It was what he wanted. And that's a very vulnerable place to be in. Because when you're in love, you know, you just totally give yourself to that which you're in love in, 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 in love with. And we should be in love with God, uh, first and foremost. And, and, uh, and then love our neighbor as ourselves want good things for them. So I'm going to end this particular teaching uh, with that. We're going to pick up this story uh, next week in our Bible study. I encourage you to uh, to share these Bible studies with others. Let them know about our podcast. Because you can download the podcast and you can listen to it anytime. You don't have to listen to it on Wednesday nights at, at 7 o'clock. You can download it and listen to it uh, at any time at your, at your leisure. You can You can revisit it you know, uh, relook at it. And so I just want to encourage you, if you have any questions, uh, email me those, those, those questions and, uh, I'll be sure to answer them. And then remember, uh, and to check our, our, our Facebook page, uh, daily. Also check your emails daily because I'm going to be sending, uh, some emails out. Check our webpage daily because there'll be some announcements there that when we do our, our, our study on, on evangelism, uh, you'll be able to pick up on that live. Obviously, it'll probably be, be taped and, and, and be available for you later to see it taped. But if you see it live, you'll be able to interact with it and you'll be able to ask some questions. And so that's going to be coming up in about the next uh, week or so. And so I just encourage you uh, to, uh, to be a part of that. So praise God. Let me close with a word of prayer. Lord God, we just give you honor and praise and glory. We thank you for all things. We thank you for making our online services available and our podcasts available. We thank you that your word is going forth and reaching so many people, Lord, that uh, people that we were unable to reach before. But, Lord, we desire uh, fruit into the kingdom. Lord, we desire, Lord, for those souls. Uh, we desire for the lost to come into a relationship with you. So, Lord, we pray uh, that that mountain of unbelief be removed and that we can we can reach our, reach our communities, Lord, whether it's our Tija or, or Cerritos, Lord, or Buena Park, Lord, or Norwalk, or Santa Fe Springs, La Mirada, wherever people are, are, are listening to our podcasts or, or watching our, our, our programs from, Lord, uh, that they would come into a relationship uh, with our Savior that, that uh, results in salvation, Lord, that they would fall in love with you, God, and that they would follow you all the days of their lives. So, Father, in all of this, we just give you thanks, praise, and glory and honor in Jesus' name. We pray. And the church said, Amen. Well, praise God. Thank you for listening again. Uh, see you on Sunday at 10 a.m. Our, our online services. Don't forget, we have a marriage uh, uh, podcast available. Uh, and we have men's ministry podcasts available. And so we're staying in in, 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 in 
in close contact with you uh, a lot of different ways. And again, check your emails because we'll be sending some emails out on things that are going to be coming up. Okay? So praise God. Uh, love you guys. I uh, hope to see you all soon. Uh, and praise God for uh, opportunity to share the gospel again. So uh, good night or good day whenever you're seeing this. I hope to see you soon. God bless.